The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Well, on today's program, we talk with Pete Obermuller from the Petroleum Association of Wyoming, gives an overview of their annual meeting coming up, plus shares his thoughts on the recent events happening in Colorado and how they're starting to bleed over into Wyoming and other areas. Gives an update at the Powder River Basin, plus sage grouse talk, permits, and an assortment of water issues discussed on today's program. And then Mark Bullock stops by BMA Biotech. Talks about some of the pros and cons of getting the soil and redoing the soil. That sort of thing. It's, it's called uh, remediation in situ and ex situ. That sort of thing. Uh, energy activity happening down in Texas as well. All that plus much more on today's episode of the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe, and let's get right into Pete Obermuller, Petroleum Association of Wyoming. Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. Appreciate you joining the program here today. How about we start off by a little state of the union, except state of Wyoming. Where, where are we at with the oil and gas world? I've been saying, you know, the BLM has put some sort of ban in with the uh, Wyoming BLM land, but maybe that's not uh, totally accurate. So, how about uh, kind of an overview? Yeah, you know, we are uh, we're doing okay. Uh, in fact, we uh, are you know, sort of slowly and steadily improving from the uh, sort of uh, bottom that we hit about uh, three or four years ago. And uh, so, production is is up uh, over the last couple of years. Um, rig counts are up. Uh, and employment is up, uh, employment just, just slightly. Uh, but, uh, but all, all things considered, we're, we're, we're doing pretty well. Um, with reference to the BLM, uh, that you mentioned, yeah, there, there's some interesting, uh, court challenges going on there. It's not a full say of a, a full on ban on drilling on, on, on BLM lands. Uh, it was 300,000 acres and it was a pause relating to analyzing greenhouse gas emissions uh, that the BLM has rectified. And so uh, it's that's still moving. That's moving forward now. Got an annual meeting coming up, I see, on social media. Talk to me a little bit about the annual meeting. Yeah, I'm excited for it. It's uh, This year it's in Cheyenne, uh, our capital city, and uh, uh, in a couple of weeks. And it's, uh, it's, it's going to be good. Registration is strong, and we have a lot of great uh, speakers lined up, uh, including uh, you know, our governor, Mark Gordon, um, our United States Representative, Liz Cheney, and uh, our keynote speaker is uh, uh, a pollster and big data analyst from Washington, D.C. Her name is Kristen Soltis Anderson, who actually has done a fair amount of work in the uh, public opinion space for energy uh, environment and climate and uh, so we're going to talk about that uh, and, and learn from her hopefully about how to better message 
What do you think the number one issue in Wyoming is right now in terms of what's the number one thing that you guys need, I guess, changed or modified in order to get more activity there? And what's the number one thing that you guys are finding successful? Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, I, I hate I hate to hedge, but I, I would say there's a few number ones. Uh, we've got a lot of irons in the fire, and one of them is – uh, the state of Wyoming is uh, completely altering its permitting process for oil and gas operators in the state. Uh, it's uh, changing uh, pretty fundamentally, and uh, that's uh, ongoing right now. The, the proposed rule is out, and, and will take a few few months to, to sort, but that's, uh, that's a really big deal for us, obviously. Um, the rest of it is... The rest of the number ones are all kind of related to uh, public lands and uh, and wildlife issues. Uh, really, obviously, more than you know, more than half the state is owned by the federal government, but um, more than two thirds of the of the subsurface of the mineral estate is owned by the federal government. So we have a lot of issues related to that. Um, sage grouse probably top of that list, uh, but also big game migration corridors. Uh, and uh, and several others, migratory birds, and, and all of that. We we have uh, a lot of issues related to federal lands that uh, private land states uh, don't have to think about as much. Sage grouse, huh? So yeah, that's uh, that, that's a big one in North Dakota too. Yeah, it is. Uh, there's, uh, it's the the bird was. Um, uh, was uh, kind of on the short track, I guess, uh, could be said for uh, for listing on the Endangered Species Act. Um, Wyoming, there's sage grouse in, in, in all these sort of mountain west states and, and, and going further, further east in North Dakota, but Wyoming is really kind of ground zero. We have probably the biggest and most highly concentrated populations in the states and, uh, and, and the most area affected. So uh, an endangered species listing of the sage grouse would have been uh, catastrophic for oil and gas. So um, the state and uh, oil and gas and lots of other players um, Dating back all the way to the to the Friedenthal administration, um, two governors ago worked on a state-specific conservation plan um, that has uh, has not been without hiccups, but has largely worked and has kept the bird off the list. Um, so we still have some challenges with implementation, uh, but it is considering the alternative. It's uh, it's been going okay. How's the water world? In Wyoming, the water world, Wyoming. Yeah, I mean, it's it's much like you know most rocky areas where your water is very uh, abundant in some areas and non-existent in others. Yeah, that pretty well describes it. Yeah, I mean, so how, how, how does that work in Wyoming when it comes to? And the reason I ask is like in the Bakken in North Dakota. You know, shortly after the energy boom happened, they came out and said geez we're going to need 10 times the amount of water that we thought we were going to need they similar down in the permian as well and every time i think of you know some of these mountain west states you know there's reservoirs there for a reason you know california complains they don't have enough water for a reason you know i mean there's 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 only enough to go around and and certain math equations need to be done so if someone forgets to carry the one whether it's city or state or a regulator, whatever it might be, um, it affects everybody, you know? So how, yeah. how's the water world in Wyoming? Long way to ask that question. 
No, it's it's helpful, and I'd, I'd actually be interested in learning more about about the water challenges in the Bakken. That would be a helpful exercise for me. But you know, it's it is as you described. It's a little bit different depending on on on, a, on where you are in Wyoming. There's a lot of uh, of legacy fields uh, in the central and uh, central west and, and northwest part of the state that that produce a lot of water. And uh, interestingly, they. Um, uh, there's a lot of that produced water in Wyoming that actually ends up being quite beneficial to landowners and, and ag operations in that part of the state. They they uh, they use that that produced water for uh, for beneficial uses in the Powder River Basin, which is you know where the uh, where the main development is now the the hot item uh, in the Powder River Basin. It's, it's a little bit different story. There's not quite the uh, the water supply there, and so uh, it's uh, it's a little bit more tricky. And a lot of the operators are taking a cue from uh, their work in the Permian, in the sense that they're working pretty hard to uh, implement, develop, and implement complete recycling uh, programs, and uh, you know try to reduce the amount of of, of fresh water that's necessary. Uh, so it's it, it's a bit of an infrastructure challenge there, but I think we'll. Uh, we'll overcome it. Mr. Pete Obermuller, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause and we return. We're going to continue the conversation with Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. My name is Jason Spies and this is the Multimedia Cafe. I'm not my own. I've been carrying by you all my life everything rides on hope now and everything rides on faith somehow and when the world has broken me down historic the first full conversion refinery to be built in the u.s in over 40 years Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Jason, what's your thought on this? My dad always listens to Jason Spies. No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Jason Spies is the most trusted voice in the Bakken. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. You know, I don't know what justifies being placed in history books, Jason, but in my book, it's in there. <laughs> this is a good thing. Is your boss watching this? You need a raise. Back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. How about the reuse and the recycled part of the water? You mentioned that, you know the repurposing. I would imagine that um, there would be quite a bit of innovation or at least some some talk of it within the state, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, in terms of the, of the 
recycle and reuse from a, from an industry standpoint, that's pretty much private sector led. That's mm-hmm. uh, industry working on that. It's the, because the Powder River Basin is where the majority of our rigs are and where most of the new production is, there's a little bit of a renewed focus on this issue uh, within uh, policymakers, um, uh, among policymakers, I should say. So uh, there is a lot of interest in that. And uh, it's really kind of, uh, the PRB is still, um, you know, especially in comparison to Bakken or Permian, of course, is still very new. So the infrastructure isn't quite built out yet. You mentioned the Powder River Basin. Uh, is that primarily, I mean, that's a natural gas play, isn't it, mostly? Or is, or is there other um, resources that they're getting out of there? No, they're getting they're getting oil out of there. Okay. Um, there is there is natural gas, too, of course, but uh, but it is an oil play. It is. Okay. Uh, what, yeah. what, what, what's the uh, overview there, I mean, as far as depth and some of the things? Would you happen to uh, know anything like that? I mean, like in the Bakken, they're going, going a couple miles deep and... In the Marcellus, they're going 50 feet. <laughs> yeah, it's it, well, yeah, it's not it's not 50 feet. I can promise you that. It's it's more like the it's more like the Bakken. Okay. In terms of the in terms of the depths, um, it may not be quite as deep as that. I'm not totally sure. The fact, actually, the fact of the matter is, there's maybe this is true in the Bakken. You have to tell me. But uh, in the PRB, there's there's sort of multiple formations at different depths. Okay. And uh, uh, part of our part of the permitting challenge, of course, is that. Uh, um, you know, you different companies are, are are interested in the different formations, and that that creates a little bit of a challenge in terms of, of making sure we organize all of this. But um, but none of them, none of the active formations that are producing uh, oil are, are uh, any sort of shallow operations. These are these are deep well horizontal uh, plays. Peter Obermuller with us, president of the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. Are you guys seeing a lot of uh, activity in the in, in the Bakken still from from your companies and some of your uh, whether it be uh, you know, service providers or providers that sort of thing? I don't know how how closely you keep uh, your, your finger on that pulse or not, but it just seems you know between the DJ and the Permian and the Bakken and even. Up in the oil sands, a lot of these companies are doing business in multiple shale plays. Yeah, that's that's definitely true here. Uh, you know, we have uh, several uh, shared members between the Petroleum Association of Wyoming and the North Dakota Petroleum Council. Uh, a lot of uh, even some uh, individuals who are on you know each of our leadership teams. Uh, so that is. Uh, um, uh, there, there is some overlap there. It's actually pretty helpful. Uh, there's, uh, I'm sure that you've probably uh, uh, talked to Ron Ness over there at, at NDPC, but uh, they're a very professional operation of uh, nothing but, uh, but uh, respect for what they're up to and trying to model a lot of what we do uh, after what they do. And it helps to have uh, shared membership that can uh, help cross-pollinate some of these some of these good ideas you know during the to, more specifically to your question when we when we experienced a pretty uh, severe downturn a few uh, about three or four years ago uh, the Bakken was still uh, was going gangbusters and uh, so 
a lot of companies in Wyoming, uh, particularly the ones located in Gillette and in and around the PRB, uh, focused almost all of their attention on the Bakken. And, and, you know, we've had, you know, there's, there's uh, several, there's lots of companies and, and lots of people who commute back and forth to work up there. That may change as PRB takes off a little bit more, but uh, but there's a lot of interplay between the two states and the two uh, the two basins. Colorado has been having some issues, uh, so much to where the governors said the war on oil and gas. Has that uh, impacted any any of your members, or are you hearing? Mu- I'm sure you're hearing much about it. Just kind of from your perspective and your catbird seat, what are you seeing? Yeah, it's interesting to watch our neighbors to the south. Uh, and I- take the turn that they have, uh, particularly given how, uh, how productive and how, uh, helpful to the state in a lot of ways that, uh, that DJ basin, uh, play was for them. So they're, they're still a long ways from figuring it all out. They, I, I can't remember the total number, but, um, you know, a couple, a dozen or more different rulemakings that they still have to do and, and, uh, and, and all of that. So we haven't seen, a um, an immediate uh, influx, uh, though there have been a couple of companies who had previously moved out of Wyoming who have moved back in uh, as a direct result uh, of the of the of what's happening in Colorado. I think it's sort of what we talked about before. Um, uh, you know, for Wyoming, our biggest barrier to entry is the difficulty of dealing with the federal government and, and federal lands. So uh, it's not as though looking north to Wyoming is an immediate uh, uh, fix for folks. They have to they really have to ramp up their operations to in sort of a different way to deal with deal with federal lands and federal owned minerals. Uh, but I, I think we're seeing it and we're going to see it continue if uh, particularly depending on how these rulemakings turn out down there. Kind of circling back to the annual meeting to kind of recap that a little bit. Uh, uh, when is the dates again? Some of the topics that you guys are going to be talking about, if there's any um, speakers or sponsors, anything like that you, you want to mention, just kind of take the time to recap that a little bit and uh, give you guys a, a plug there at the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, it is uh, it is August 19th and 20th uh, here in, in Cheyenne. Uh, Wyoming's capital, and uh, the 19th we'll uh, be doing a little fundraising, uh, playing golf and, and, and shooting a little trap uh, for fundraising, and then we have a, uh, a welcome reception at the governor's mansion that evening, and then uh, the next day is really the, the meeting proper, and I'm pretty excited for it. Uh, three general sessions, uh, and then several breakout sessions. Uh, the general sessions we have um, Casey Hammond, who's uh, Deputy Assistant Secretary for Lands and Minerals at the Department of Interior, will we'll be speaking to the uh, to the members and uh, U.S. Representative Liz Cheney, our House Representative from Wyoming. Uh, we're also going to uh, talk a lot about um, uh, the presentation from uh, some government agencies and some other entrepreneurs here in Wyoming that are uh, working to develop. Uh, recruitment tools for and and financing for um, oil and gas startups in Wyoming, which I'm really excited about uh, the opportunity to to partner with them, uh, and I'll be uh, making an announcement about that partnership at the meeting uh, to help uh, incentivize and foster um, new businesses and 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 entrepreneurship and startups in the oil and gas space. Uh, help sort of 
drive forward what's next in oil and gas. So that'll be a fun one. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then a lot breakout sessions on a lot of topics, ranging from uh, uh, other recruitment issues. Our unemployment rate in Wyoming is 3.5%, so we have workforce issues, like uh, certainly like the Bakken. So we're going to uh, talk a little bit about that. Uh, we'll be talking to some legislators uh, and uh, hearing about Wyoming's budget uh, uh, and budget crunch issues, uh, taxation in Wyoming, and uh, uh, several other uh, topics uh, um, on the docket for those breakouts, and then uh, the governor at the chairman's dinner that that night. So it should be a good uh, one-day event, and uh, registration is strong, though uh, still uh, open for registration for another week or so. So um, would love to have even more. And that was Pete Obermuller with the Petroleum Association of Wyoming. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit the Crude Life. Com. That's the crudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter, YouTube. All those social media links are available at the crudelife.com and click on the social media tab. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. So here's to all of the good thinkers and here's to the lonely drinker but don't you know welcome back to the multimedia cafe my name is jason spies thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the multimedia cafe a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about coming up next we talk with mark bullock with bma biotech mark bullock bma biotech all right, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us here today. BMA Biotech, start off quickly by uh, letting people know what it is you're doing. So BMA Biotech specialize in a wide range of chemicals for the uh, primarily the oil and gas industry, but we also cover the facilities maintenance sector, wastewater treatment, and uh, we're starting to expand into the environmental services industry as well. And what shale plays are you guys in currently? Uh, so in the U.S., we're primarily focused on the Permian and the Eagle Foot because obviously they're central to us. Um, but we are starting to focus our efforts now on moving up to the back end. And uh, also we're looking at moving up to um, the tar sands in Canada as well, in various areas. That should be pretty exciting. Is that uh, You are seeing that kind of growth, though, because of the um, new service that you guys are providing? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not just the new service. What we're now seeing across the industry um, as a whole is that there's a new way of thinking starting to come about chemicals. Um, you know, the the, the pro, you know the, the conventional chemicals, obviously, are petrochemical based. Um, so, due to the the negative effects they you know that they can have on not just you know the, the health and safety of, of employees, but also the wider environment, um, as you know, the US and the rest of the world become more environmentally conscious. They're, they're starting to try and phase them out, um, but there are very few companies like ours that actually do, you know, products which are environmentally friendly and, you know, actually function correctly in their given application. Talk to me a little bit about that environmental movement that's going on. You know, everybody seems to want to be greener this day, these days. Uh, um, Talk to me about the environmental services side of the uh, oil and gas industry. So, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously when you get an oil spill, it has to be cleaned up um, or EMP waste spill, whatever. It, you know, it has to be cleaned. There, there's no two ways around that. Um, and what we're seeing is, you know, the, the long-held um, thought that, you know, they can use X, Y, and Z products which save them apparently saving money or digging and hauling um, to dispose of the soil is no longer effective because, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot more um, what I would call charlatans within the industry who are claiming to have products which don't actually do what they say. Um, you know, I'll give you an example. Uh, we, we know of a company who claims that their product turns crude oil into sand. Um, it's, it's just not possible. It's not even probable. Uh, all it basically is is a type of high-grade detergent, which in short is um, basically encapsulating the, the oil and pushing it further down into the subsurface. So you know, it may seem revolutionary on the face of it, but when you actually dig into the scientific side of it, it, it genuinely doesn't work. It's just creating a, a, far, <clears throat> a far worse problem for, the, you know, for whoever's employing these guys and you know, a, a worse environmental profile of the industry because it's just not working and that's where we come in because excuse me we've seen where our products you know we, we measure our products not only on their performance but also on how they enrich the environment so when we make a product we look at you know not just the usability for the client but also how do we make sure that our products aren't going to have a negative impact so you know if it's a microbial product um, you know, and there's a lot of bad PR about microbial products in the industry because it, you know, they are temperature tolerant, like all living organisms. Um, but if you know how to balance the formulation correctly, you can get outstanding results, which is what we're seeing um, with our chemical side of things. You know, we don't do in situ soil washing with the chemicals because this is where the big downfall is that people are just basically washing their soil in situ and pushing the contamination deeper into the subsurface where we, you know, we've developed a, a unit um, that you can wash the soil, pass it through this unit and it splits off the chemical one way. It separates out the soil to another area of the unit and then takes out the um, crude oil or EMP waste to another area. How about the accountability behind this? Uh, oftentimes, at least I've heard, cleanup companies can come in, but the oil company, the service provider, I guess I assumed it was the oil company, but it might not be. Uh, whoever that company is that's 
oftentimes doing the hiring ends up being the one who's accountable for it, not the not the spill up cleanup company. Is that is that still the case? Yeah, yeah, that's still across the U.S. That it, well, across the rest of the world as well. It's it's basically anyone who's caused the um, the spill it is liable for what they call cradle to grave. So even if you bring in a spill company that claims to have cleaned it up, and in three years' time you suddenly get leached into a nearby lake, and it can be determined that it actually is the original oil that you had allegedly had cleaned up three years previous, you're still liable for that cleanup. So you're not just liable for the cleanup. The second time, you're also liable for the environmental impacts you caused on any, you know, on anything around you. So it's, you know, if you do not do it correctly the first time, then, you know, you're just leaving yourself open to, or, or you know, service companies slash operators are, are leaving themselves open to potentially, you know, environmental infringements. What's the biggest trend right now you're seeing in your niche side of it? Uh, you know, you mentioned it in, in situ earlier, of course, I was thinking of ex situ and remediation and all these different words that yeah. come into it. What what side of the cleanups are you seeing the the biggest opportunity or the growth? Uh, we're seeing the ex situ more because, um, I mean, ex situ basically means that you're removing it from the original site of contamination and putting it into another area um, until you can clean it adequately. Um, so that, I mean, we do all of our cleanups on site. Um, so there's not actually moving any contaminated soil around anywhere. Um, so that's the, one of the biggest niches. Because, again, when you compare that to, to the, the dig and haul method, so the dig and haul basically is you bring in a company who will dig up the soil, who will put it into a, a, a roll-off box and take it to another facility for disposal. So f- you have to have a paper train from the point of origin to the point of disposal. And then you will then have to have paperwork to show that it's been disposed of correctly. Yeah, so again, it all brings in costs and you know regulatory compliance, which again can be a nightmare in itself. So we're seeing our our in situ, well, our ex situ on site treatments um, making more headway than um, in situ bioremediation, because again, bioremediation is in itself it's effective um, in the in the right temperatures. Um, but again, it's it's costly in the sense of you know the way you treat it. You know, if it's in situ with bioremediation, you've got to drill boreholes, put in shafts with holes in to pump the product down and push it through the one side. You know, it's comparable to fracking, basically in situ bioremediation. You, you, in a sense, you're fracking the the soil with with microbes to get the contamination out. In Texas, is this still kind of um, underneath the Railroad Commission of Texas? Yep, Texas is the Railroad Commission. Um, you know, they, they do okay. an outstanding job at what they do. So, I mean, you know, I mean, they're, they're very thorough, the state of Texas, on the railroad side. Um, you know, I mean, yes, there are some regulations that were put in in 1993 or before that. So, you know, hopefully the, they'll update them to accommodate the, the changes in, in the industry in the sense of the new products out there. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mark Bullock, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Mark Bullock with BMA Biotech. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. So here's to the picture 
that holds us laughing. And here's to the sound of one hand clapping. And here's to not letting this moment pass. And here's to carrying the weight of the world. And here's to screaming, yeah, never being heard. And here's to not letting this moment pass. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you. And the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Mark Bullock with BMA Biotech. Well, typically we, we operate in the state of Texas, um, but our product has been used on various product, projects outside of the state of Texas with other companies, or we've gone along and assisted other companies when they've been, been doing cleanups. And we find on the whole, the, the regulatory side, you know, the agencies, providing you're doing what you're meant to be doing, don't have an issue. You know, providing you, you can clearly display to them that your product works, you know, your method is sound, and you actually know what you're doing. Um, it's quite an easy process. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if they get the impression that you genuinely don't know what you're doing and you're trying to pull a fast one and cut it and run, basically, that's when the issues, you know, they start to scratch the surface a little bit more. You know, we've heard reports where we heard of one company who claimed that, they were working in a state and the state was so impressed with their product to this, this, this on-site person took a, a sample and took it to their home and started playing about with it. You know, and the, the first question that was raised when we did bring this up to the regulatory department was, you know, if we're going to test a product, we're certainly not going to do it in someone's house. It's going to be in a lab setting. So, you know, it's, again, it's, it's, you've got to be careful what you hear from companies because sometimes you'll hear, fantastical stories that they've got such a good rapport but actually in truth they haven't it's just you know talk is cheap well that's what i was gonna say a lot of this stuff of course you get you get into exaggerators and guys who talk about you know bigger than 10 super bowls that they can do and that sort of thing and is that is is that starting to self-correct a little bit more within your end within your niche the environmental services it's yes and no. It's one of those ones where, um, you know, do you want it fast and cheap or do you want it, you know, expensive and good? It's It all comes down to that. And what we're seeing is that these companies can do, you know, lower 
rates than we can because you know they're genuinely buying their stuff for like three cents a gallon because it's that superb it actually doesn't work um in a sense of it doesn't turn crude oil into sand um where we are the ones that say well no you know we're going to charge you x number of dollars per cubic feet or per cubic meter whichever they want to be charged by because you know we know what we're doing we've got a multitude of experience from the team that we've put together and our products have been designed specifically for this you know it's not something that we found that can clean i don't know a wood burning stove for instance of carbon you know we've genuinely developed this product specifically for uh, chemical soil washing mark bullock with his bma biotech kind of talk to me a little bit about uh what's next for you guys Oh, next is, a, is you know, we, we're, we're slowly getting bigger and bigger projects through the door. Um, you know, we're starting to make a lot more tie-ins to a lot of companies within the industry. Um, we're, you know, we're slowly getting out there. Uh, well, slowly, it's actually quickly in, in some respects. Because, you know, we're seeing, I mean, up in Colorado, there's this big shift that it's, you know, and now a negative view of oil and gas. Um, and the, the chemicals... And the production methods, you know, are now under scrutiny where our chemicals, you know, I mean, are very safe. So that's where we're going to now upshift is because people are coming to us and saying, hey, we need data for the biodegradability of your product. Can you supply it? Well, yes, there you go. Um, so when they go back to, you know, the, oh. the state or whoever, they, they can see that they're genuinely trying to change. So that's where we're seeing our biggest function is at the minute is people are coming to us because there is a need for change and we're able to provide that service to them. How about the Permian Basin down there? Uh, what's what's kind of the activity happening, or what are you seeing, reading, hearing from your customers? Uh, we're seeing steady growth. Um, you know, I mean, so, you know, in um, in June, um, you know, th there was a reduction in, in in the in the volume of oil produced. Um, but again, it's one of those ones where wells are being depleted. Um, you know, within the first year by 70%. So obviously that's why there's a continual drilling phase going on because, you know, investors need to be paid back for the money they're putting in. So, you know, the production is there. Uh, it's just the question of how many wells need to be drilled to keep up with that production. But unfortunately, you know, now it's coming to a point where investors want a return. So we're seeing a lot more companies are sticking with the wells they've got, reducing drilling activity and just trying to basically make a return for their investors that way. How about on the chemical side of things? I mean, you guys are in the environmental services. You deal with a lot of chemicals. You mentioned Colorado. You mentioned Texas. You know, up in North Dakota, a lot of times it's, you know, 93%, I think, is private land. So, you know, you, you got state-to-state -state regulation, you know, that sort of thing. Of course, you got the EPA, but at the end of the day, I don't care where you're at, you're going to have spills, whether it's salt water, whether it's crude oil, whether it's, you know, loading bananas on a truck, things spill. And yeah. so how deep do, do some of these things get, and do they get all the way to your level with the individual chemicals, or do they just kind of blanket an in industry? Do you know what I mean by that? How deep do these studies get sometimes? Um, I mean, it's, it's all a question of how long is a piece of string, um, you know. And, you know, what we're seeing across the board is, you know, a lot more states now are becoming environmentally conscious. Um, you know, they don't want to do anything that's going to harm the, the, you know, the environment or people. So 
they are taking a closer look at the chemical side because again i mean you know you look at 98 percent of the products in the industry um from production all the way through to refining um a lot of them are petrochemical based so in a sense it's derivatives of crude oil um so what we're seeing is you know if you can prove that you've got a genuine product that genuinely is an environmentally friendly and a sustainable product at a cost-effective price the operators are very interested in it and they obviously want to use it but also states are looking at it as you know we're you know we're working in partnership in a sense with the operators to try and help them reduce their impacts on you know the, the negative PR because I mean we've all seen the studies where they say this chemical causes um, birth defects or this chemical you know gives you a greater chance to getting cancer um, and yet in some respects these studies may be slightly slanted towards one view or the author may not have a, a credible background but in some respects you know there is a lot more research out there against what these products can do than what there is for their environmental profile so that's what you know is very it's a fine line between getting a product that works and having it environmentally friendly to having a product that doesn't work and isn't environmentally friendly so you know it's we're seeing a lot of, a lot of companies now are mislabeling their products just to sell them um i've seen people claim biodegradability um so you i've naturally asked them you know i've called them out in a sense well what what time scale are we looking at? Are we looking at one week, um, one year, you know, what? Uh, and I just get met with blank stares or they just completely block, blank me and walk off or, or block me on social media. Because, you know, we're not in the business to say to our clients, well, our product's biodegradable without having anything to back it up. And a lot of companies, yeah, that, you know, do have biodegradable products. But the question is, is if they can't back up what they're saying, then obviously you know, if you go and try and sell this to a state regulatory authority because you want to go and, you know, use it in, you know, either the upstream, the midstream or downstream sector, and it suddenly turns out that this product isn't biodegradable. And that was Mark Bullock with BMA Biotech. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. That's going to do it for today's program here at the Multimedia Cafe. I'd like to thank Peter Obermuller from the Petroleum Association of Wyoming for stopping by today's program, and Mark Bullock with BMA Biotech. Appreciate you two coming on today's program. We'll be back tomorrow at this time on this radio station. I'd like to thank you folks for tuning in and listening to the Multimedia Cafe. Also, if you're streaming us on the net, thank you very much. Maybe you downloaded one of our podcasts at iHeartRadio or iTunes. I'd like to thank you very much, plus many other podcast platforms. That's going to do it for today. Like I said, if you'd like to download or check out more information, go to thecrudelife.com. That's going to do it here from the staff at the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019.
the Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 